Today's subject is relevant to every single person who's sitting here. And although my brother Jamie gave a talk on the subject a few weeks ago, uh, there were a lot of questions unanswered. And it is my hope that this talk tonight will help to answer them and to give us a little understanding about why we go through what we go through. And what we go through is a lot of pain. What we go through is a lot of suffering. Is that not true? Do you suffer? Yes, you do. Every one of us sitting over here suffers. And every single one of us who suffers has at one point or the other in their life asked the question, why does God allow it? This question has been asked ever since the first teardrop rolled down the first face. And it continues to be asked today by everyone who's in pain. Why would a loving God, why would a compassionate God, why would a gentle and caring and merciful God allow his children to go through what they go through? Why does he permit pain? Why does he permit suffering? Why does he permit death? Especially among those who believe in him and his love. I'm going to try to answer that question here, giving you not one reason, but nine reasons. And with this understanding, I pray that they be comfort to you, they be solace to you. Because sometimes all we need to know is, why, Lord? But that's not the only question I'm going to answer here tonight. I'm going to answer two more questions. Who or what causes it, and what do we need to do to prepare for it? But let's take the first question first. Why does God permit suffering? One, it keeps the world from becoming too attractive. You know, when you're a little child, the world's a great place to be in, isn't it? Yes, you can sit over here and you can eat Oreo cookies and you think the world is a great place, right? Yes. Yes. <clears throat> And when you grow a little older, it doesn't change that much. When you're in your teenagers, for the most part, the world is a good place to be in. Isn't that right? Sammy? Yes. So if you live in a world that is happy and comfortable and you don't really have anything to trouble you, you wouldn't mind staying in the world forever. But we are not of this world, as Jesus said in John 15. You're not of the world. I have called you out of the world. Peter says you're aliens, you're foreigners. You don't belong here. This is not your country. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians also said the same thing. He said you live in an earthly tent, a temporary tent. But there is another tent waiting for you up there in heaven. And it is only because we suffer that we kind of look forward to that next life that is there. I mean, when you get to be my age, which is not very old, and your body doesn't start to do the things that it did when it was 13 and 14, you think, hey, it might not be a bad idea to go up there, right? When you're troubled and you're worried and relationships don't seem to work out, you think, hey, what do I need this here for? Up there, I can have all the love I want and all the peace that I want. Is that not true? Suffering helps us 
to recognize another existence that is greater than the existence now. And man, I'm telling you, I for one cannot wait to get there. Fortunately or unfortunately, as some people might see it, God has other plans for me and he says, no, you're going to stick down there and suffer for a little longer until it's time for you to come. But that is the first reason. And I hope it gives us the understanding that we need. But there are more. The second reason. Suffering brings out the best in us. And it brings out the best in those around us. I mean, look at the time when you might have suffered. You've suddenly found resilience and strength in you that you never knew you had. You find courage and you find the ability to rise over your sufferings and actually to become a brave person. You become more sensitive to the needs of others. Have you ever heard of an earthquake or a flood taking place in a place near to you? And what is your first response? To go and do something to help these people in need. And this is one of the things that suffering brings out in us. It brings out courage that we didn't know we had. It brings out generosity we didn't know we had. It brings out a sense of selflessness that we didn't know we had. It brings out the best within us. Isn't that true? Have you ever suffered and not suddenly felt that your backbone was made of steel? Instead of bending and instead of bowing and instead of shuddering, you say, hey, I can take this. And you do. Which brings me to a third thing. When we suffer, we bear witness to our enemies. We bear witness to those who don't know Christ. A few weeks ago, I told you the story of Daniel's three friends. Do you remember that? Daniel had three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And one day, King Nebuchadnezzar erected this huge golden statue of himself. And he ordered that whenever the band began to play, Everyone in the kingdom had to bow down. But these three guys said nothing doing. The only person we bow down before is our God. The king got furious and said, if you don't bow down, we're going to throw you in a furnace. These three guys said, do with us whatever you will. Our God will save us. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down before you. The king was furious. So he had the furnace made seven times hotter and had these three people chucked into this furnace. And when these three people were inside, what do you think the king saw? He looked at the furnace and he saw four men. The fourth one looked like a son of the gods. Now, a lot of people miss the point of this story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were suffering in the flames, just as many of us suffer in flames. But in the middle of those flames, these three showed that they had backbone and they showed that they had faith in a God who stood by their side. And when the enemy saw this happen, what happened? They recognized that God was in the midst of these people. We hear testimonies constantly about people being healed. We hear testimonies constantly about people being delivered. We hear testimonies constantly about people being blessed. But you know the greatest testimony? The greatest testimony is when somebody is suffering and still has joy on their faces. This 
is the greatest testimony that Christians can give. And I have seen Christians give this testimony time and time and time again. And I spoke about two people to you a few weeks ago. One is a sister called Rania. She suffered from cancer. She had a tumor. God healed her of both the cancer and the tumor, but she continues to remain in tremendous pain. But if you see her, if you were to look at her, if you were to spend even a few minutes with her, you would never know what she's going through because of the joy that simply shines from her face and her faith that never wavers, not even a little bit. And when people who don't know our God see her, they start to know our God. I spoke about another man when I was speaking about this story, and it's worth telling again. He's in a hospital bed. He used to be in a hospital bed till he said, there's no point in me staying here. I want to be in my own bed. So he is in a bed in his home with tubes going through his mouth, feeding him because his body is unable to break up food into the protein particles they need to be. But if you look at him, and were it not for the tubes, you would not even know there is anything wrong with him because he has this look of complete peace on his face. God is with him. And when the enemies of God, or when those who don't know our God, see people like this who are in pain but instead look only joyful, what do they see? They see what King Nebuchadnezzar saw. Another person standing beside them, and he just doesn't look like a son of the gods. He is the son of God. The next point that makes us appreciative of the blessings we have received. A few years ago, I was in America, and I was invited to give a talk at a youth group. And just before the meeting was to start, this girl walked in. She was beautiful. I mean, she was one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. And what I noticed about her was her eyes. They were so striking. They were this grayish blue color. And they simply blazed out. And I couldn't take my eyes off her eyes for a full minute. Then the meeting started and... Everyone started thanking God for the blessings they had received. And when it came time for this girl to speak, she went on and on about her eyes. She said, thank you, Lord, for giving me the most beautiful eyes in the world. Thank you that they are, you know, so perfect. And thank you that. And she went on and on. And everybody who was there started to get a little upset and annoyed. You know, what is this girl doing talking about her eyes like that? After the meeting was over, we gathered together for a little fellowship. And one of the leaders of the youth group turned to this girl and said, why did you go on and on about your eyes like that? Everybody knows you have beautiful eyes. And very quietly, she said, I needed to be grateful for my eyes because I'm going blind. And everyone just froze, not knowing what to say next. And all of us realized at that moment in time, how we sometimes take for granted the blessings that we have received from God. When is the last time you thanked God for your eyes? They're beautiful, they really are. When is the last time you thank God for your nose? You wouldn't be able to do a lot of things without it. When is the last time you thanked God for your hair, even if you're losing it? 
We had a preacher who came and spoke to us a few weeks ago, and he said, when is the last time you thanked God for your elbow? You have elbow? You can move it? Let me see. Everybody, let me see. See, it's moving. Now, if you couldn't move your elbow, all you would do is that, which is not bad because you'd be able to say, praise the Lord. Or you could say, Heil Hitler, but never mind. Praise the Lord is better. The elbow is something that we take for granted, but without it, there is so many things that we would not be able to do. And when we suffer, we're able to take these blessings into account and be grateful to God for the many things that he has showered upon us. You know, every day I get people in pain, every day. And on one or two, they come in the hundreds because it seems like everybody is in pain. And every now and then I make someone who comes to me take a paper and a pen. And I say, fold the paper into half. On one half you start writing the bad things that are happening in your life. And they will start writing and they will write six, seven, eight. Some of them will write 10, 12. And I say, okay, very good. Now on the other side, write the blessings you have received. And they start hesitantly because they don't know what to bless God for. So I help them. I said, did you wake up this morning? And they said, yes. Did you wake up in reasonably good health? And they say, yes. Did you go and have a bath? And they said, yes. Did you eat food? And they said, yes. Did you go to work? And I, they said, yes. Did you drive to work? And they said, yes. Did you come back and did your family say hello to you? And they said, yes. And I said, you get the picture? Are you getting the picture here? The blessings you receive far outweigh anything bad happening in your life. And when you weigh the two together, you see, oh baby, what's on this side is nothing compared to what's on this side. Because God keeps pouring it out and pouring it out and pouring it out. And when we consider that, things start to get into perspective. Is that a good enough reason? Let's look at one more. It increases our dependence on God. One day, God, where's that little girl? She disappeared. Come here. One day, Jesus called a little child like this. And he told everybody who was present, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like one of these, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. And you know why? Because we all think we are big people, we are responsible people who can do anything they want. Guess what? You can't. Truly, you can't. You couldn't even breathe. Take a deep breath, go on. You couldn't do that if it wasn't for God who gave you the breath. What can you do, really? But yet we pretend to be independent. We pretend to be masters of the universe when in truth we're masters of nothing. And it is sometimes when we suffer do we come to a realization of how truly helpless we are and how much we need to depend on God and rely on him. I spoke to you. You can stay with me. 
I like her with me. I told you about the people who come to me. They come with all kinds of problems. Off late it has been marital issues. Couples who just don't get along with each other. I had six women come to me over the last two months telling me that their husbands wanted to leave or had left. And I asked one question to all six women. How is your relationship with God? And all of them said, it's pretty good. And I said, really? How much time do you spend with him? And they said, I spend a lot of time. And what do you do during this time? And they said, I keep asking God for things. And I said, do you know him? Do you know what his hand feels like? Do you know what he smells like? Do you know what it feels like to be held in his embrace? And they said, no. And I said, I don't think you really know God. And I'm saying the same thing to you, and I'm going to return to this a little later. Thank you, baby, you can go. And I'm going to return to this a little later because it is important that we understand what prayer truly is. We get confused a lot of times about what prayer is. And I hope that by the end of today's session, not only will you discover, especially those who are listening to me for the first time, what it means to be in a relationship with God. Because only then will we start to depend on him in the way a child depends on the father. And we need to do that. We need to do that. Most of you know my story. I'm not going to tell it again. But I came to God after 25 years of not believing in him. And what happened? He had to take away every single thing in my life until in a jail cell with nothing. I had to realize there was nothing I could do. I couldn't move from there without somebody's permission. And that is when I realized how much I needed to depend on God. And this is one thing that suffering does with us. It helps us to realize our dependence on God. I know some of you are sick. I know you're sick because you've come to see me. And some of your sickness is pretty bad. I know many of you are struggling with all kinds of issues. And I know they're pretty bad because otherwise you wouldn't come to me. But in truth, you're coming to God. You're seeking his help because finally you realize there is no way that health is going to get better. There is no way that spouse is going to return. There is no way you're going to be set free of that addiction until you realize that God is in control. Until you realize you need to depend on him. And that brings me to another point. You need to pray. Truly need to pray. And that is also something that suffering brings out in us. You know the way we usually pray? It is insipid. Seriously, it is boring. If I was God and I listened to my children praying, I'd close my ears. I'd say, I don't know what they're on about. What I want from them is for me to love them and for them to love me. And one of the things I do in counseling, people must wonder what kind of a counselor I am. I sit with people like this and I hold their hand. And you know why I do this? I say, you're here with me. And I need you to know that I care. Because when you sit with God, I need you to sit with him the same way that you're sitting with me now. I can counsel you from a distance. I can sit over here a mile away, act like as if I'm king of the world. I'm here with all the wisdom that I am here to give you. But I'm not interested in that. 
What I am interested in is to make you understand that there is someone far wiser than me, far more powerful than me. But when you pray, you need to get into relationship with him. Yes, you read the word. And when you read the word, what do you discover? You discover God says, do not fear. Those words have no meaning if you don't know who God is. God says, do not be anxious. Do not be worried. I can quote them to myself all the time. But those words have no meaning unless you understand who it is who is telling you, do not be afraid. Your father or your brother who sits next to you holding your hand. And now when he is so close, tell me, what do you have to be afraid of? What problem do you have that is so big it cannot be fixed? And if for some reason he is not listening, I am telling you, you will know what it means to petition God. You will say to him, don't you care? I know you're merciful, I know you're compassionate. Don't you care? My heart is breaking because my spouse is treating me so badly. Don't you care? I know you care, so why aren't you doing something? And when you're close like this with God, he'll have to be one cold-hearted guy to be able to tell you to get out of that. But you will never discover that unless you suffer and unless you really know him. Which brings me to another point. When you suffer, you will purify yourself. And the reason you will purify yourself is because you will not want anything to come before you and God. A few years ago, my wife was sick. Nobody knew she was sick. She suffered for about a year. She had a problem with her esophagus. She couldn't swallow anything. The food would go down, get stuck over here, and come back again. And in one year, she lost about 20 kilos. She'd become that thin. And finally, she went in for surgery. But during the time she suffered, you know what I did? I did my best to purify myself because I didn't want anything to stop her from being healed because of my actions. And forget about other people. When you yourself suffer, it is the best way I have ever discovered for people to come close to God. They will do anything you tell them to do. I meet people on the outside. I will tell them you need to repent, you need to forgive, you need to surrender. They say, ah, I don't need that. Have you tried? But when they suffer, when they are in pain, when the relationship is breaking into pieces, when they are dying or someone close to them is dying, oh, they will do anything you ask them to do anything you ask them to go for confession they have not been for confession in 10 years the next morning they're there confessing for a lifetime's worth of sins you tell them need to forgive those who have hurt them all these years they've been saying i cannot forgive i will not forgive no matter what happens i'm not going to do it they will do it now you tell them you need to pray you need to get into a relationship with god and they would never ever have gone down on their knees they're willing to do that And this is one more thing that suffering brings out in us. It purifies us. And it helps to purify those around us. Because we understand that we need nothing to stop the blessings that God wishes to shower upon us. Are you all getting it?
One more reason we suffer in order to share in the glory of God. It's a story that I'm quite fond of, and there's a good chance that most of you have heard me tell it, but it's a fantastic story. What? Hearing over and over again. One day Jesus told his apostles he was going to die. You think they were bothered about what was going to happen to him? No, they were more concerned about themselves. And two of them, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, went to Jesus and said, Jesus, when you pop it, you know, when you die and you go to heaven, let one of us sit on your left and one of us on your right. And Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you willing to drink the cup that I drink? Because that is the price you pay for the glory that you seek. And the cup he was talking about was not a cup of wine. He was speaking of the cup of suffering. Later on, the apostles actually drank from this cup. And I remember there was one occasion when they healed somebody and in reward for healing somebody, they were taken and beaten mercilessly to within an inch of their lives. But you know what scripture said? Scripture says they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to share in the sufferings of their Lord. And this is something we also need to rejoice with. You know why? As Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, he says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we are children, we are as, as of God and co-as with Christ. If, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might share in his glory. You want the glory? The glory of the everlasting life where you get to a kingdom where you will live forever. Sit with Jesus near the throne, having a life of peace for all eternity. The price you pay for that glory is the cup of suffering. Drink from it. Drink from it joyfully and see what a blessing it becomes, not only to you, but those around you. I suffer. I haven't spoken about this and I don't like to speak about it because I like to show myself as this tough guy, you know, but I'm going to share it with you to let you know that it's not only you. It's even guys who seem very close to God who go through a lot of pain and it isn't nice. It isn't easy. Very often you seem to be in this dark place where there doesn't seem to be any light. And you just wait. Day after day after day for the morning to come again. And I'm not unique in this. It has happened to every hero in the Bible, even David. If you read Psalm 130, you will see how David cries out to God to rescue him from his despair. And he says, I just wait for the morning. I just wait for the morning. I just wait for the morning. David knew, as I do, and as everyone here who's been through this before, that the morning will come. And when the morning comes, everything will be bright and radiant again. And you will all, all those of you who are going through the darkness in your life, one day get up to a bright morning. I promise. In fact, that morning might have come to many of you here today. And before you leave, 
We're going to ask God. We're going to ask him not with insipid, limp voices. We're going to ask him with all our heart, Lord, have mercy on your people and bless us here tonight with a new dawn. Not tomorrow, but here now. But before we get to that, there are two more questions I promised I would answer. Are you getting tired? Sure. Question number two. How or who causes this suffering? And the answer is strangely very simple. In 90% of the cases, it's caused by us. Why? Because God has placed natural laws into effect. And every law has consequences if you break them. Every action has a reaction. You reap what you sow. Now, if I were to climb a tall building, and I were to dress up like Superman, stretch my hands out and say, we, here I come and jump, what's going to happen? Splat! Right? If I go to McDonald's and eat burgers for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, any of you do that here? Good. What's going to happen? Your arteries are going to get clogged. Your heart is going to find it difficult to beat very effectively. And very soon, not only will you be fat, you'll also be quite closer to death. Right? If you have an affair, you're married and you see another woman and she's also married and you have an affair with her. What happens? There's pain in your family. There's pain in her family. All because of what we have done. We don't need any help from God or the devil. We do it all on our own. Isn't that right? And if you look at your suffering, I'm telling you in nine out of ten cases, it is because of what you have done. Your husband walks out of your house and you blame everybody except yourself. I have couples come to me and forgive me if you're one of them. I, illust I use your example just to illustrate how this works. So please don't take offense. Almost everybody does it. On one occasion, I had this couple who sat with me, and for 40 minutes, I didn't get a chance to open my mouth. Seriously. They were talking, or rather they were fighting. All he was doing was accusing her, and all she was doing was accusing him. 40 minutes before they ran out of steam. Before they could get their steam back, I quickly hopped in, and I said, I've listened to you for 40 minutes. All you have done is blame your spouse and listen to me, every married couple, because this is your story too. Don't tell me otherwise. Every single thing that you said was to accuse your spouse. Now I told them, I don't care if you get divorced. Because honestly, if you live together like this, you're going to break each other's heads one day. I'd rather you stay separate than commit murder. So I said, but I believe that you love each other. And asked them, do you love each other? And they said, yes. I said, good. On your way home, it's a 40-minute drive to their home. I don't want you to talk to each other, not one word. All I want you to do is go through your life and see the things that you have done to hurt your spouse. That's all I want you to do. Then you call me tomorrow and tell me what happened. They called me and said, Brother, I realize how many things I have done to hurt 
my spouse. And when I went home, I said sorry to her, and she said sorry to me. And now it looks like my marriage is working out. A week later, I met them again, and I said, so how's it going? And they actually were smiling and said, oh, it's wonderful. Married couples, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you're having friction in your marriages. I'm pretty sure that most of you are, and I'm also pretty sure that with most of you it is pretty bad. No matter how much you try to pretend to the rest of the world that everything is fine, I know. I know that most marriages are a big pretense. Now, you want to fix it? Take blame. Don't look at what your spouse is doing. Look at what you're doing. And if you look at yourself hard enough, you will see what a miserable person you have been to your spouse. Go and apologize. And once you apologize, you will see how quickly God starts to repair everything. And it's not only those who are married. All of us who are sitting here, we are so quick to portion blame on somebody else. Let us start to look within. Let us start to look at ourselves and see how bad we really are. So us, one. Two, the devil. He does things, you know. And what is one of the things that he does? Beautiful, isn't it? You know that, you remember that. <laughs> That's his job, to tempt us. And it's his job to make us suffer. I was speaking to a friend of mine today, and he was asking me what's on, what's going on in my life. He was concerned enough to ask. And I said, we're in a war. And what do you think the devil is going to do? He's just going to sit back and let us walk over him? No, he's going to fight. He's going to trouble us. He's going to torture us. Right? That's his job. So a lot of suffering is because of him. And if we read the story of Job in the Bible, we will see how the devil can actually interfere with our lives. But we also know from the story of Job that God is in control and there is only so much that he will let the devil do. And finally, there is God himself. How many of you are parents over here? Many, right? Do you ever correct your children? Sure you do. Why? Because you love them. Sammy is smiling. Does your mommy correct you? Yes, she does. Sometimes God needs to correct us too. And the book of Proverbs talks about it. The apostles write about it. God corrects his children because he loves us. Just like a father would correct his son or daughter. And that is what God does to make sure that we come the right path. Are you suffering? Examine your life and see if God might not be using it to draw you towards him. And if you'd come towards him, guess what? Everything is made okay, and your suffering will disappear like that. We're running out of time, so I'm very quickly going to answer the third question. How do we prepare for suffering? One, read the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God will give you all that you need to get through your time of suffering. You will find in the Word of God, God saying to you over and over again, I am with you. And when you see what God has done in the lives of people that he has made this promise to, you will be encouraged as well because God says the same thing to you. But remember what I said. 
The Bible can be only wise unless you have a relationship with the person who is the Bible. And who is that? Jesus Christ. So when you pray, when you pray, I never want you to pray from a distance. I want you to be in his face. I want you to hold his hand. And don't let go of it. Don't let go of it until you really need to go and do something else. But even when you're doing that, keep him close to you. See a kind of relationship like this, how it is going to help you. It's taken me through 10 years. 10 years, 10 years I've been in a war. And the only reason I've survived it is because I'm close to Jesus. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what I go through. I will pray and I will pray like this. I will hold him, I will hug him, I will beseech him, I will implore him, I will kiss his feet, I will do whatever I can, including threatening to complain to his mother if he doesn't listen to me. I do that. I say, Jesus, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to go to your mother and say you're being a naughty boy. And how can I talk to him like that? Because he's my friend. You should join us for prayers one day. Seriously, we pray every afternoon at one o'clock. We pray for 30, 40 minutes, and sometimes it's very intense. But very often the prayer is fun. We actually laugh when we're praying. Why? You think God doesn't have a sense of humor? Or we're the ones without a sense of humor. And if truly we just with God and we crack a few jokes, he's laughing as loudly as we are. And that's the way it should be, right? Second thing we need to do, I've already spoken about it, we need to pray the way I described. And the third thing that takes us through is making a lot of friends. I can be alone and I can suffer alone. And if I'm in pain, nobody, nobody will care about me. But if I have friends, just the knowledge that they are there is enough to make me feel happy. I have my brother Jamie over here and he had a severe back pain three weeks ago. I called him a week later thinking he'd be, you know, moaning and groaning, but instead he was very happy. He said, you don't know how many people came to say hello to me. You don't know how many people asked about me. I even let people come to my house and cook for me. He said, I don't mind being sick a little longer. Isn't that true? Because you have friends. Why are you here? To listen to the word of God, good. But the main reason you are here in addition to listening to the word of God is to make friends. Because when you have friends and you're in pain, you are not alone. And if I'm in pain and I have five smiling faces next to me, what am I going to do? I'm going to try to smile at least a little bit. Am I not? If I have 10 people smiling around me, I cannot help but smile. But imagine if you have 300 people with you. I'd be out of that bed in a hurry. Trust me, this is why you are here. This is why I make you do what I make you do. It's not a game. It is not a show. It is not a drama. It is to make friends with one another because this is the way we're going to get through suffering. And imagine if you're not only friends with those around you, but you're friends with the charismatic group, if you're friends with some of the other groups within the church, and all of us can come together as one. Hey, forget about having one group praying for me. I can have 10 groups pray for me. I can have the entire church pray for me. This is what we're all about. This is what God is all about. And this is what suffering is all about. See, now that you know it is not so bad after all, is it? 
So let us rejoice in our suffering now today. And let us invite the choir and invite God to really bless us with something very special. Let us just silence our hearts for a minute. Silence our thoughts. Let us forget that we are in the parking lot of a church and there are about 200 odd people with us. Let us imagine that there's only one person with us and that is Jesus. And you're not going to be able to imagine much if your eyes are open. So I suggest you close your eyes, but open the eyes of your heart and see him with those eyes. Beautiful, oh, he's beautiful. I don't quite know what he looks like, but I know he's beautiful. With the most wonderful eyes you can ever imagine anyone having. They're bright, they sparkle and dance. They glow, they shine, and they're deep. So deep you feel if you look in them long enough, you'll be swallowed into them. But you don't mind being swallowed because these are eyes of the greatest lover on the earth. And when you look into those eyes of love, so powerful, so warm, so kind, so gentle, so compassionate, you know you really don't need to worry about anything. That you are in the presence of the King of Kings, the Master of the universe. What is a little suffering? And he says now, as he said to people in the long gone days, come to me, oh you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Look at you, so tired. Look at you, so feeble. Look at you, so worried, so anxious. Look at you, so weighed down. Come, 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 come to me. Come to me and do nothing for a few minutes except to bask in my presence and bless me as I bless you.